You're listening to the Autism in Action podcast, the place for families all across America to connect with autism resources, services, and support. I'm your host, Tasha Rollins, licensed professional counselor associate, private practice owner, boy mom, autism advocate, published author, and autism parenting coach. I help families learn to advocate and navigate through the world of autism. Each week, you'll have a chance to listen in to other autism experts and learn about additional resources. Let's embrace the idea there's more to autism than we know, and there's always, always hope. With the internet at our fingertips, there's no excuse for families not to receive the services they need. This podcast will help bridge the gap of missing information and services for autism all across America. Hey guys, Tasha Rollins here. I just wanted to come on real quick and let you guys know we have got our website up and running, www.tasharollins.com, and that is spelled T-O-S-H-A-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. So www.tasharollins.com, and here you're going to find all the episodes to the Autism in Action podcast, some additional resources. We've started a blog to kind of throw out some interesting reads and um, really truthfully if you guys can also check out the Autism in Action Facebook group that would be great. Join that group you're going to get all kind of amazing articles from all of our featured guests that are shared into one spot so you can find everything that you're looking for in one place. If you need to reach me please feel free to send me an email, TashaDRollins at gmail.com. With any questions, please make sure that in the subject line, you put Autism in Action Podcast. Um, and that way I will know to, to make sure that uh, we get a, get a reply back to you guys. Um, if you're on social media, on Facebook or Instagram, LinkedIn, please share our podcast episodes. That just helps us grow our mission and help families all across America connect with the services, resources, and support that they need. And when you do that, use hashtag autism in action. Our new book is available on Amazon, Autism Unspoken Until Now. It's a collection, an emotional collection of memoirs from moms to moms with children on the spectrum. We are looking for sponsors, guys. We need your help. We want to go to the 2020 Converge Autism Conference that's taking place locally here in Greenville, South Carolina in April. Please consider helping us grow our mission of helping families connect with resources, services, and support by making a monthly sponsorship for this podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll get back to our scheduled interview. All right, guys, we've got a very special interview today and an awesome guest, Ms. Susan Berkowitz. She is a speech-language pathologist with over 40 years in the autism arena and helping families out with the special needs community. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear all about what she has to share with you guys. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Autism in Action podcast. Today, we have another amazing special guest. We've got Miss Susan Berkowitz. She is a speech-language pathologist, and she is in private practice and has been doing this for a very long time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this. I am so excited to learn all about the wisdom and insight that you have to share with parents. All right. Well, um, I've been working with kids with autism for about 47 years now, um, mostly kids who are nonverbal. And um, I, when I started back in uh, the early 70s, uh, communication for kids with autism who were nonverbal was just starting to get into sign language. Uh, we learned, we discovered that, that signs uh, worked much better um, at getting kids started with communication when, uh, when they were nonverbal and, and it was fabulous. And I loved what I was doing. Um, I actually wrote my thesis on, on that topic back when sign language wasn't even considered a language. So we've really come far. I think that um, is so amazing. My son actually took yes. sign language as his foreign language yep. last year in high school. And he did two years of it and enjoyed it's it. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it has really changed. I mean, I had to write this whole justification of sign language, but, um, but now we don't even think twice about it. And so it's, it's wonderful. And then, of course, we moved into pictures and the technology um, has broadened what we can do. And uh, so for a lot of kids, just putting communication symbol pictures in a book and having them point to it just doesn't engage them. It doesn't grab them. And, um, and frequently, we'll all see kids for, for whom uh, the schools or the parents have created communication books and the kids are just kind of eh about it and not really um, using them and, and seeing the power of communication. So sometimes the technology makes a huge difference. Um, often parents are told, well, if he can't you know, use the communication book or he's not progressing with PECS, then there's no sense getting him a high-tech system. And that's actually pretty backwards. We have a lot of kids uh, for whom the technology uh, makes up for some of the difficulties they have with motor movements or with um, other sensory issues. And we have kids for whom hearing the voice output makes all the difference in the world. Um, one of my, my very favorite stories was of a young man um, in his teens who I did an evaluation for, and we got him a device. And nobody had ever taught him literacy skills. He had just sort of sat in the back of a classroom for many years. And when we got him the device, he went straight to the keyboard and he typed out, thank you for giving me a voice. Now I can talk like everybody else. Um, and that's just, it's a really moving story. I love it. Um, and I guess one of the things I want parents to know is that it's possible. Um, anybody can communicate. One of the uh, most famous researchers and professors in the field uh, said a number of years ago, no child is to anything to learn to communicate and to read and to write. And, and we're really moving now with presuming confidence and, um, and not letting uh, myths and misconceptions uh, guide what we do and what we don't do. Mm -hmm. Parents are often told your child is too young. There's no such thing as too young. Babies communicate from the day they're born. Uh, there's no such thing as your child is too low cognitively functioning. Um, ASHIC is very, very strong in their um, lack of support for cognitive uh, dissidents. It doesn't matter. Anybody can learn to communicate. Um, we're often told, well, your child has some speech, so we should keep developing speech. 
But if you've got a child who's, um, who's frustrated, who's having tantrums, who's acting out because they can't communicate, if you've got a kid who's nine or 10 and they still only have a few dozen words, that's not enough words to meet all of their communication needs. So we really need to look at alternatives and mm -hmm. augmenting that speech that they have. So um, I actually, and I think somewhere on my website, there's, uh, there's even a link to a handout um, for parents about these myths and misconceptions so that when they hear them from therapists or from schools, uh, they have information to counter that with. Um, and I have actually a whole section in, in my book about that um, and what parents can say. Uh, and share, share with our parents what your book is called. My book is called Make the Connection. The subtitle is actually a practical guide to parents and professionals for teaching the nonverbal child to communicate with AAC, which is really too long. <laughs> but um, I wanted parents to have a roadmap, a sort of a step-by-step -step guide. Um, in my last, well, when I worked in a school district, you know, parents sort of got invited to IEP meetings and not a lot else. Um, we had some parents who were very savvy and who pushed for information, but not all parents know how to do that. Um, in the years that I've worked in private practice, I've made it a point, I do a lot of consulting to school districts. I go in, I train staff, I, um, I consult, I follow kids for uh, years, and I always make a point of telling them to invite parents when I do trainings. That's not always possible. Parents are working, they can't always get time off. I've had school districts videotape my training so that parents can watch it later because you need the information. Mm -hmm. You know, parents are their child's first teacher. They're often their best teacher. And as parents, we know our kids better than any of the staff. Um, your school district staff may know more about teaching strategies or about how to, to promote communication, but you're still the expert on your child. And so Absolutely. parents need to know what to do. Their, their kid comes home from school in the afternoon, you've got the rest of the day, you've got the weekends, you've got vacations, you've got all summer. And, and all of that child time that you have is so important for building language and communication skills. And so I wanted parents to know what to do. Um, and I wanted it to be easy. I didn't want there to be technical jargon. Um, you know, I've had parents complain, they, they even sign up for professional development courses that speech pathologists take trying to get the information. But some of it's just, it's too full of, of technical yeah. words that, that don't make sense. Um, I, I put a whole chapter in the book just going through, and I put it in the beginning as sort of a glossary, but I don't want it at the end. I wanted parents to know what the terms meant. And I think too, you know, at the core of communication, you know, is really connection. Yes. And like what you were talking about before with that young man, you know, he would just, he had a way to bridge that gap once you did that. And, and it I, is, it's all about connection, um, which is why we have gone to a very sort of participatory and interactive model, uh, both for evaluations, for implementation, grab the child's interests. Um, I don't care if you think it's compulsive to sit there and line up, you know, matchbox cars. Fine. That's the activity he loves. Let's make it interactive. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Which car goes where? What's your favorite? What does it look like? Are these cars going to crash? All sorts of, of talking you can do around what looked like a solitary activity. 
Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, one professional. And there's a lot of significance in that, even though it's very simple. Yes. You know, it's very small and very simple stuff that you're talking about that, that makes such a huge significance, I think, in growth yeah. and the communication. You, you've engaged the child. He's interested in this activity. Now he's willing to take in, you know, some of the language. You, you can take turns and he learns turn taking. You can describe and he learns how to describe them and compare and contrast them. All of these higher level language skills that uh, we try and teach in therapy or we try and teach in class. And if we're not doing it in an activity that the child is interested in, chances are you're gonna lose them at some point. Um, and we spent a lot of years trying to talk kids out of those um, sort of quote unquote compulsive interests, hate that term, but yeah. we used it for years. Um, and, and we did, Paula Kluth wrote a fabulous book a number of years ago called Just Give Him the Whale. And, and that's really it, give him what he likes. I don't care if we're going to spend the next 52 weeks talking about Thomas the Tank. Um, we can do all sorts of things with Thomas and keep the child interested and build all of our language around that. The other thing parents can know is that routines, routines are the heart of building language. And you don't think about it that way. But when you're teaching a child to brush his teeth or wash his hand, you're saying the same thing with the same language in the same order, how many times a day? 365 days a year. <laughs> you're giving him sequencing, you're giving him vocabulary, as well as just teaching him the basics of daily living skills. So those are times when you can build so much language around the things that you're already doing. And, um, and you're, you're teaching your child language without even knowing it. Um, in, in classes, we do the same thing. So you've got your greeting routine and your putting things away routine and your washing your hands before lunch. All of those routines are great for building language. And we often don't think of them in that kind of a context but they are. And so even before your child gets to school, you've had so many opportunities to build language. One, uh, there's a, a speech pathologist who figured out that, so when babies are born, we spend a lot of time talking to them. We talk all around them. And we do that for anywhere between 12 and 18 months before we ever hear a sound out of them. Well, or a word out of them. We certainly yeah. hear sounds. And so, when we're asking our kids to use pictures to communicate, where are those models? If we're not using the pictures to communicate to them from day one, they're not getting the input in the language they need to use. And so when, again, your child gets an AAC system in their hot little hands, you need to teach. You need to provide those models. Um, IEPs need us to determine what this child is going to be doing a year from now. And yet often, we can spend an entire year with only the child paying attention to models of other people using the system. Right. If we only do that in speech therapy twice a week for 30 minutes, it will take 84 years, Jane Corston discovered when she added it all up, for them to get the same number of hours of language input that we give our typical kids from the time they're born. And so it's really, really important for parents, teachers, therapists, paraprofessionals in the classroom, all of the communication partners your child has 
to be modeling using those pictures when you're talking to them. We're gonna stay one step ahead. If your child's not using pictures at all, you're going to model one picture utterances. You're gonna use a complete sentence, but you're only gonna to point to one core, <clears throat> excuse me, important word. When your child starts using one symbol, you're gonna <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to start modeling two pictures symbols. When your child is using two, you're gonna start modeling three. And so you're building language. We, um, we wanna move beyond I want. We do that all too often. We jump in and we teach kids the names of the things that they like so that they can ask for them. And yes, that does meet immediate needs. It does reduce some frustration. But requesting is kind of a dead-end communication function. You ask me for something, I give it to you. Now what? Close-ended. Conversation's yes. over. So, um, so we really need to make sure that we're modeling things like commenting. I like it. I don't like it. Yuck. Yummy. Uh, different one. Um, answering and asking questions, all greetings, all of those other reasons to communicate that we have um, so that we're not leaving them stuck with just, I want. Um, the other problem with teaching nouns is that they don't convey a lot of meaning in our language. And so the thing that we really wanna focus on when we're teaching children to use augmentative communication systems are what we call <clears throat> core words. And those are the high frequency words in our language, the words that we use the most, that are the building blocks of language. They're the words that we recombine for every message that we wanna say. There are no nouns in our initial core vocabulary. They're verbs, they're adjectives, they're pronouns. Um, your average toddler who knows hundreds of words only uses 25 of them for more than 96% of what they say. Help, give, have, you, me, I, know, put, get, yes and no. They're, they're basic words. And if we can give our children those initial 25 words, and maybe even a little beyond those core words, there is so much they can say. When you, you look at those 25 words and you combine them into two and three word utterances, there are thousands of combinations that give your child the ability to say so much. And that's what we want. We want them to start understanding the power of communication. When they, when they communicate, respond immediately. Do something. If you're not sure what they've said, interpret. I think you said X. Give them a chance to reject or accept that in whatever way that they do that. And by continuously responding to what they communicate, by giving them the core word symbols to use in many contexts, we teach them that they've got the power. They can control the environment. They can control the people around them. They can control what happens to them. That's what they need to learn to okay. make communication important for them. I, I've done a lot of fighting with teachers about having a button by the door that says, I want to go outside. Well, you're going outside because it's recess time. Do you know if the child wants to go outside? Maybe he doesn't want to go outside. Um, there's, I think I put the story in the book about this young man. School came to me. Well, he was doing really well with pecs and then he regressed. 
So I went into the classroom and I'm looking and this is a young boy with autism, not such great fine motor skills. And the activity is a coloring and cutting and pasting. And the only pictures he has is I want crayon, I want scissors. I, he didn't want any of those things. He was never going to want any of those things. He hated fine motor activities. And there was no way on that communication board that he had to say, I want to do something different. I don't want this. Change it to, I need the scissors if you're going to make me do this activity. Not that I want them. And when I gave him enough vocabulary to meet more of his needs, he hadn't regressed at all. Pecs were too limiting. He mm. needed more to say. And we want to teach kids to say, I have more to say. There's something I want to communicate. One of the uh, most important pages in any communication system, and I make sure that every kid knows how to get there, is something's wrong. That's huge for our kids. Mm -hmm. He's bugging me. It's too loud. I'm uncomfortable. I want to do something different. I feel sick. Something hurts. All of those are really, really important communication messages that we need to give our kids. Um, and so that something's wrong page is, is crucial, no matter what kind of a system you have. Um, and there are lots and lots of things out there that can be parts of systems. And I use the word systems because a commun alternate, uh, augmentative and alternative communication, say I can't talk so well, <laughs> is that it's a system. It's made up of components. We all use multiple modes of communication. We use facial expression, we use body language, we use our words. Um, and so it's important for our AAC users to have some signs, some facial expressions, a high-tech communication system, but also a backup paper-based system. Right. I knew a young woman who was in a wheelchair, had a dedicated device mounted on that wheelchair, high-end, high-tech device. She also had a letter board because people who knew her really, really well, she could just point to the first letter and they knew what word she wanted. Yes. She had a core, core word text-based page that was just words, high-frequency words, and she could use those, again, in a pinch when it was fast. And so she had lots of different pieces of that system. Um, Activity-based boards, go talk now, uh, Big Mac buttons, all of those are fine as pieces of a system. They're very limited. They're great for specific tasks or specific situations, but you never want that to be your main communication component. Kids need a robust vocabulary. They need yes. words for everything they want to say. Yes, they do. And so we need to have lots and lots of words available for them. I, uh, I once saw a young man, he was 16 years old, autism, severely self-injurious. He bites his hand. And by the time I saw him, he had done permanent neurological damage to that hand. Hmm. When I saw him, he had a piece of cardboard, back of a, of a notepad, and it had 12 pictures of his favorite reinforcers on it. And that was all. And um, I did an evaluation. We ordered a high-tech device for him, and school districts are not really, really fast to spend money, so we knew it was going to take a while to get through the purchasing process. And so in the meantime, I made him a communication book, 
It was a specific style of book. It's called a pod book, um, pragmatically organized dynamic display. They have a lot of pages, it's full of vocabulary, and it has a very standardized navigation system so that children know exactly how to go from one page to the next and where to find vocabulary. I walked into the classroom with this 125 page book and the teacher and the aide looked at me like I had lost my mind. <laughs> Deer in the headlights. And so I sat down and I explained how the system worked and how they could provide that aided language stimulation, the modeling of where to find things. I will tell your listeners that this is a very unusual situation. He was a bright kid, two weeks. Two weeks later, the teacher called me and she's absolutely squealing. She's jumping up and down. He had gotten upset because APE had gotten canceled and he was a kid who had a a lot of energy needed to get up and move and run mm -hmm. and he started to bite his hand and he looked at his hand and he looked at the communication book and he put his hand down and he pointed to i have something to say and he navigated to the people page and found no ape teacher he navigated to the actions page and pointed to run he navigated to the places page and found the football field and his aide took him out and ran around, let him run around oh. the football field and avoided any behavior he might have acted out against anybody else because he was frustrated. Yes. And yes. he avoided hurting himself. And his self injurious behavior dropped to almost nothing once he had a way to communicate with us. That is and, amazing. And it's, it's possible. Doesn't happen in two weeks most of the time. It takes right. usually a lot longer, right. but you never know. Um, we have a lot of really bright kids who have a lot to say and no way to say it. And so if, my mission is to stop that. <laughs> if parents want to learn more about the work that you're doing and get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to, to look you up online? Um, my website is susanberkowitz.net. Um, there's a link to my blog. There's information about me. There's a contact me form um, as a way to find me. So that's probably the best way. And then Make the Connection, your book, is available on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and print format. And if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, it is free to read. Awesome. Well, Susan, is there anything else that you would like to share with our parents today? Oh, listeners? there's probably a ton. I could talk forever on the topic. But I think that gives people a good place to start and some resources um, that will get them started. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. And I would absolutely love to have you back on another time. Um, so maybe we could reschedule that. And, um, you know, thank you again so much for, for joining us and, and sharing all of your insight and wisdom with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Autism in Action podcast. For show notes, more information, and downloads, head on over to TashaRollins.com and join the Autism in Action Facebook group to stay connected. Please leave a review on iTunes and help spread awareness on social by sharing this episode.